0: Welcome to Review the Future, the podcast that takes an in-depth look at the impact of technology on culture.
1: I'm Ted Cover, I'm John Perry. And today on
0: Future Express, we are going to discuss a scale for measuring consciousness and the increasing threat of violence from ever cheaper weaponry. Okay, so the first thing on my list today is this article that I found on a site called Aeon.co. I don't know, I linked off of Reddit. And it's called Consciousness Creep, and it's an article about uh, whether, something we've talked about before uh, offline, but not, I don't think, on the podcast, which is whether machines might become uh, conscious without the intentional effort of human beings to make a conscious machine.
1: Like emergent consciousness.
0: Some kind of emergent consciousness or accidental consciousness, which of course has been a plot device in many science fiction stories, something people talk about and think about, but it's not taken that seriously by AI researchers, because of course they're, they're AI researchers, they're the people who are trying uh, to do this, and it, and it maybe shouldn't be taken that seriously. Honestly, uh, I don't necessarily want to argue for the, the idea that it should be taken seriously. What I thought was really fun about this article and why I wanted to bring it up is something that's embedded in the article. It's a reference to somebody else's cons scale. Have you heard about this? Cons scale? So that's spelled C O N S, larger S, C A L E, right? So it's.
1: I've not heard of this, so you're going to have to
0: tell me. Cons scale, a scale of consciousness developed to try to classify consciousness which is that's an interesting and difficult problem with uh, a lot of different facets so just the fact that anybody rigorously tried to do it i think is already admirable um that said it's a 12 level scale
1: wow wow
0: (laughs) and it includes uh 0 to 11 plus a negative 1 um and it the scale is meant to uh represent uh, from a corpse to a super god basically wait who and, who devised this scale uh, uh that's a good question and it's in this it was developed in 2008 by the spanish ai researcher raul arabeles moreno and his colleagues and you it's it's anatomically determined to some degree okay uh, so right there i think that's going to be an interesting element of it to talk about you
1: mean determined by the actual brain structures or pseudo brain structures that are present right on the assumption that uh uh
0: human-like consciousness arises only in systems that have you know human-like components basically so um does it have a body does it have a memory does it have attentional control uh and then after that it, it it classifies behaviors can it recognize itself in a mirror, for example? But
1: wait, so go back. So uh uh-huh. are you going through the levels from zero up to 11? No, these roughly? are
0: these are just, no, I will go through levels right now. That's what I wanted to do. Okay. okay. All right. So here are the levels and we'll just, I think we should just talk about them because the article's okay. <laughs> we'll link to it. You can click on it if you want. But uh, this was really what I thought was exciting okay. uh, about it was just thinking about these levels. Okay. So negative one, this is the lowest level on this scale. Okay. It's, Called disembodied. This okay. is the disembodied level. Okay. The explanation is this is a thing that blends into the environment. The example that's given is a molecule. So we're talking about something that is by. Most people's definition, n- not even alive at all.
1: So it's negative one. It's clearly negative not, conscious. One. It's not conscious. It's not conscious. It's somewhat opposite of conscious. And I'm willing to agree that like a water molecule is not conscious. Literally
0: molecule is the only example given. So okay, sure. I'm, I'm with, I'm on board with that. <laughs> okay.
1: Okay, fine.
0: Zero. Level zero. Isolated. This is the next level. Isolated means it has a body, but no functions. Okay. So the animal example that's given is an inert chromosome And the machine example that's given is a stuffed animal, right? So a teddy bear is not conscious. It's a zero on the conscious scale, as is an inert chromosome.
1: But a teddy bear is more conscious in some sense than a water molecule? This is the argument that this...
0: Well, Uh, it's
1: between zero and negative one. So... They're really both not conscious. They're
0: both not meeting the threshold of conscious, but there's something even less conscious, according to this scale... About a molecule. Okay, that's a little because weird. it's not formed into a body, so it's really privileging bodies, right?
1: But saying a body, okay, Mo- like if you okay.
0: chain them together into a, you know, a string of molecules, which is what a chromosome that's inert is, then we're starting to give it a little bit of credit because it's got a body here, but it's still zero; it's still not conscious. Okay, and this is on the a lot of people of think their
1: teddy bears are conscious.
0: You could ascribe it consciousness because it has a body. I'd okay. Say, right. Sure. So I'm, I'm assuming that's where they're coming from on this. I don't, I'm, I'm definitely not an expert on their
1: reasoning. By a lot of people, I mean young children, by the way.
0: But that's a lot of people. There's yeah, a lot of people lot who of people. are young children. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So <laughs> they're a demographically large group. Okay. So number one, this is decontrolled. Okay. Uh, This has sensors and actuators, but is inactive. So it has some of the, anatomical features of a body that would have consciousness, but appears to have no consciousness. The animal example given is a corpse, right? And the uh, machine example is a powered-down computer. So, a computer when off, or a human when dead, is a number one on the
1: consciousness scale. So they have sensors and activators? Is that what you said? Actuators, yeah. Actuators, but they're not active? Is right. that?
0: So you can see there are eyes and ears and muscles, but the thing's not moving. It's not talking. It's not moving its eyes. It's not exhibiting any consciousness. It's a one.
1: Now, uh, a computer that's off has a button on it that will turn it on, and a corpse yes. doesn't. That's that's <laughs> true. But if it's if
0: it's powered down in in the sense that its plug is pulled, okay, then the button won't do anything in any ca- then in that case.
1: Right. Okay. So it has the structures of something that might move and be active right but it is not currently active so
0: you're seeing so again this is really giving a lot of credit to anatomical features so it's saying okay if there's the features of a working body but it doesn't appear to be working then again we're going to give it some credit for that we're going to put it as a one okay it's going to be higher than an inert chromosome a corpse
1: okay sure okay
0: number two is reactive which is uh, described as has fixed responses. For example, a virus. Mm. Or um, their machine example is uh, they have the word Eliza, which is, I assume, a, an old computer. I actually don't know what that is.
1: Could be the name of an old AI system. Who knows? Let's see.
0: A computer program that emulates a Rogerian psychotherapist. Oh, okay, yeah, I've heard of this. So this is a, a, a chatbot that's like very programmatic.
1: Tell me more about your problems. Exactly.
0: They also have in their chart human age equivalent, So a human-aged embryo to one month is in this reactive stage, or so they
1: claim. Okay.
0: Uh, Fixed responses. Okay, so that makes sense. You know, we all know how viruses work.
1: Well, and they're they're often not considered alive, right, because they can't replicate without help from another organism.
0: Right. So they're, like, on the edge. Uh, That's a number two. Number three is adaptive, which means it learns new reactions. So this is a...
1: So it can learn.
0: Viruses learn uh, by mutating, but they're saying the individuals can learn. So the example is an earthworm or a smart thermostat, (laughs) which is kind of funny. uh,
1: (laughs) I'm sure the earthworm would be offended at being ranked the thermostat.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Uh, Or a human being from one to four months is in this adaptive
1: phase okay okay now we're on to number so four this that you this is a consciousness scale but you could kind of call this a living scale too
0: it's basically a humanness scale but okay. you know i in my opinion but i think it's interesting okay anyway. go okay. on so so I mean, far i
1: don't think anything's out of order or anything right no i think
0: mean, it's just interesting to me that trying to even classify this by external criteria is so difficult and so fraught right yeah so each of these
1: criteria is just sort I mean, We could bizarre. pick apart every one, but yeah. let's not do that. Let's keep yeah.
0: going. Let's save it for the weird ones. Uh, number four is attentional, which uh, it compares to a fish or a Kronos robot or a human from four to eight months. And what that means is it focuses selectively. It learns by trial and error, forms positive and negative associations.
1: Um, yeah, so I don't quite understand the difference between that, like the fish and the earthworm, but I'm no biologist, but I guess attentional... I guess earthworms can't direct their attention to certain things in their environment? I don't know.
0: Right. Focusing I, I, selectively, having attentional control, I think is the big element there.
1: I'm having a little trouble with that distinction, but okay.
0: Well, it kind of makes sense. Like, if you pick an earthworm up out of the ground, it doesn't stop and look at you and go, what's, what's this giant? Why did it pull me out of the ground? It just keeps, like, going along. I don't know if a fish doing is doing thing. that either. It's just sort of well, they flopping swim around trying they swim to get the out They swim away when you try to catch them.
1: No, no, no. I mean... Well, they avoid you, but doesn't an earthworm avoid things? Maybe not. This is not my area of expertise. I'm so, I,
0: not. My, neither am I. Mind. Okay, we'll okay. go ahead.
1: So they're saying this is like
0: a fish. They're saying this is the next level. Obviously, they're getting more specific here. So they're just saying it learns new reactions, but in these particular ways that seem more complex. Okay. Right? I mean, I don't know if they really are more complex, but that seems to be the argument that's being made. Uh, trial and error specifically. I mean, mm-hmm. how else do you learn? But they say that that's a different thing. Okay. So then number five is executive, which means it selects goals, acts to achieve them, and assesses its own condition. So everything until now has been acting in a kind of goalless, reactive, instinctual sort of Mm -hmm. way. But supposedly an octopus, um, a cog, which I I don't know.
1: Well, precog, of course, is a science fiction reference I know, but I don't know what a cog is. Yeah,
0: I don't either. Well, this is one of these situations where we don't know what we're talking about, listeners. So if you know what a cog is, tell us.
1: What else? Well, you said there's other things on the list.
0: I'll look it up for next time. Uh, Yeah. So that's number five. Number six is emotional, um, which uh, the animal example is a monkey. Um, The machine example is something called Haikonen architecture. So I don't know that architecture, but I guess that's uh, an emotional programming. Architecture or something. Well, kind? this really
1: is like some some interesting machine stuff to look up. Apparently, yeah. Right? Okay, because so, these these names are
0: right. Well, and starting with the next
1: one, they're all credited science fiction stuff. So I'm a little confused. Right, because we're already at monkey, right? Monkey, yeah. At six, and we're just going all the way up to eleven. Yeah, we're going up to eleven. I would have thought monkey would have been like ten, but okay. So apparently, there's a lot of steps between monkey and uh, is human. Even no, human is not eleven. God is like eleven or Correct. something. Correct. Yeah. Okay.
0: Human is both nine and ten. We're, okay. We're, we're not there yet. But okay. okay. So monkey's six and. If, monkey is six then man is seven and all Christmas. he's
1: is he trying to get this in line with the Pixies song on purpose i think this,
0: this has become a Pixies. song maybe
1: that was his inspiration maybe yeah he's just I mean, a huge pixies fan
0: i i would really like it if that was the answer i don't know
1: he was like on acid coachella in between doing his ai research
0: yeah, he was all right so we'll make monkey six and we'll just count backwards and forwards from there
1: Uh, okay. So then the next
0: one after emotional is self-conscious. Okay. Which is knows that it knows, higher order thoughts, and it passes the mirror test. So specifically, it's got to recognize itself in a mirror. So monkeys don't pass it, but I guess magpies do, or so it says.
1: Recognizing yourself in a mirror is something I know that chimpanzees can do, because I, well, I don't know this, like, I've personally done the research, but I did see a documentary on that, that showed at least a chimpanzee. Would you oh, really? be a, a, more of an ape? like an ape, like yeah. If, is there a separate level for apes?
0: Uh, there is a chimpanzee level, but it's one higher than where we are. Okay,
1: so we're just not there yet. Okay. So yeah,
0: I guess chimpanzees also it's qualify. The-, the magpie is not as smart as a chimpanzee, and it Got qualifies. It. Okay. Okay. And the machine example here is a Nexus 6 out of the Philip K. Dick story, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep, which is the basis for Blade Runner, the movie. So they're talking about the the humanoid androids in Blade Runner, basically. Uh, being self-conscious machines. So what they're saying is, we haven't built one of these, but that's an imagination of what one might be like. Okay. And uh, depending on whether you're talking about the book or the movie, it might kill your electric goat by pushing it off of a roof, or it might kill its master by poking his eyes out with his thumb. Okay, so number eight is empathic, right? Okay. So now we've gone to conceives of others as cells and adjusts how it presents itself. And a chimpanzee meets this uh, criteria. A human being from two to seven years old meets this criteria. And in the 2001 movie uh, by Stanley Kubrick, uh, Hal 9000 meets this criteria.
1: Conceives of others as what?
0: As selves, as beings. Okay. As conscious, I, I, I think is what they mean.
1: Now, what about say like a dog, right? Which like I don't think dogs can recognize themselves in mirrors, but they do seem to recognize others because they're social. Yes. So where would they, that seems like I don't know where I'd place this on the scale.
0: Right. It does seem like a dog might be, uh, like in the clearly a dog meets the emotional criterion. Dogs have very clear emotions and they're right. very, very obviously expressed. Um. And it has some minimal theory of mind, like the emotional level suggests. Like, it definitely understands that, like, y- you're also a member of its
1: group. Right. Maybe I just don't like see that. the difference between emotional and empathic, really. But,
0: um, but I don't know if it adjusts how it presents. Eh, I feel like I've met dogs that adjust how they present themselves.
1: Like, depending on who they're dealing with.
0: Yeah. Like, if their master is gone, they'll behave, for example.
1: So like it, potentially you could be empathic at, yeah. or, on that sense, but maybe not be able to say not recognize yourself, which <laughs> is sort of where dogs seem to reside. Not that I have access to a dog's mind, right. but dogs
0: might also just be fooling us really cleverly because they're evolutionarily built to seem conscious to humans so that we will raise them and feed
1: them. Yeah. They're really just winging it. Yeah. Well,
0: cause they are, they are a domesticated animal and the oldest one. Yeah, that's true. So maybe it's just that. I don't know, though. That's interesting. It does seem like the dog jumps over seven and has eight and six at the same time. Okay. But not but not seven. Weird. So, so okay. what number are we on now? Okay, so this brings us to nine. Social. Has a full theory of mind. Talks and can lie. This is the human. Okay. Now, I know that monkeys can lie. So I'm interested in why they put can lie there. Because monkey lying is, like, super fascinating like, if you're ever trying to train a monkey, one of the reasons it's really hard mm-hmm. to domesticate monkeys, and even little capuchin monkeys, like much dumber primates than an ape, mm-hmm. can uh, can lie. They will pretend to be in terrible pain when you discipline them to get you to stop. Mm.
1: And it's well known <laughs> that they will do this. And I mean, that is... Uh, well, now maybe there's a distinction there in the sense of, like, you might realize... Like, you might form a positive association, right, that when you show pain, uh, the pain-giving thing stops, so therefore you forge that association and you sort of run that program, like, make the ow of noises in Uh order to make the pain stop Uh without maybe having the, like, full model in your head that says, like, I can fool this thing by knowing that there's one version of reality that's the truth and one version that I can represent that's false And I can substitute the false for the truth in order to get out of the situation. I do feel like there's like a lower level, uh, more like Pavlovian version of that that might appear like lying, but that isn't the sort of what we think of as higher level lying where you have to know what the truth is and then actively avoid it.
0: Or you have to like make up a story. Right. That's not true and represent it as true. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe they can't do that. Okay. So, all right. Because it talks also. All right. So that's a human, right? That's number nine. Human beings... From seven to eleven years old are in the social uh, category. The Ava character from Ex Machina is given as the
1: uh, science fiction example. <laughs> it's a little silly using science fiction examples for this scale at all, but okay, go on.
0: Well, this is how they did it. All I'm right. just I'm just reading it off, and then uh the next level is so this they're assuming that this is something that has a full theory of mind, talks, and can lie, but that we We would not believe it to be a human over 11 years old. So it's it's, uh, not full human still, this social creature. And uh, level 10 is full human intelligence. So that passes the Turing test, uh, creates cumulative culture is their uh, other criterion that they have. So can fool a human judge into thinking it's a human, A, and B is part of the sort of like tumult us culture creation, you know, macro organism activity that all humans are, I guess, a part of. Okay, but I mean, I kind of feel like there are computers that pass that test right now.
1: Yeah, right. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, let's get into the problems in a second. Let's. What's the end of the? That's list? a crazy
0: one to me. And they they say that's uh, a, a twelve, plus, you know, a, an adult human or a, a six on Battlestar Galactica, and then the final level of consciousness according to this con scale is super consciousness, which would be number eleven. It's consciousness turned up to eleven. I feel like this is full of just uh jokes, you know? These this guy clearly
1: owns a nice amplifier at home. And yeah, he yeah, plays yeah. Pixie songs. Through. Exactly.
0: Um uh this superconsciousness can coordinate multiple streams of consciousnesses, so it's like a a router for consciousness, I guess. And
1: um I've mind.
0: The both the um <laughs> examples are science fictional the human science fiction example is um uh i'm gonna say this wrong but betty Gesserit from dune okay right and uh, uh that's how
1: i would say it i've yeah i i mean that's it's how I said it in my mind, only
0: ever seen in print so okay. i don't know how to say it right but uh uh and then um the this science fiction example for a machine is samantha the character in her
1: so uh, I would have a hard time ranking these science fiction uh, AIs in the precise order that they've done here. But, well, uh, I
0: think her makes sense because she has like a sort of intelligence explosion at the end, or yeah. whatever. So I think he's talking about that. And so like
1: comp- the, the comparing, like say the the replicants in Blade Runner to the Cylons in Battlestar Galactica. Like I don't even know where I would begin to go about ranking those. To yeah, me. and well because the re- yeah those are both such weird ones. Yeah, um, because like the replicants are.
0: Um, basically genetically engineered humans more than they are robots, right? And they also have uh, weird like heart defects that cause them to die early. So in some ways, they're far inferior to a human,
1: right? But
0: they are able to. But
1: intelligence wise, like I don't know if I'd put them five levels apart or whatever this guy did. So yeah, that uh, seems odd to me. Th- th- three levels apart. Three yeah. levels, okay, yeah. Yeah,
0: with Hal Nine Thousand and Ava in between, which Hal and Ava don't seem, uh, to me to be on different levels of intelligence either yeah
1: so you said this is an anatomical conception of consciousness or uh, it's really just like a externalized like it's trait, it's trait it's version of this right and right. i and, think they're yeah. just
0: looking for be- things that are verifiable to, right to put on a list and i uh, mostly what i think this shows is just how difficult it is to assess consciousness
1: when a lot of people would sort of object to this from the start by saying that, you know, the place to look for consciousness is not necessarily in these like externally verifiable traits, right? Because, you know, you can have computers and automated systems that do wildly complex things externally. And that doesn't prove that they have sort of the, the sentience or like the qualia or the experience of being conscious. Like there's no you know lights on inside is the, the phrase sometimes people use. Right. Um, But, you know, I mean, this is where I think people have different theories, right? I mean, if you buy this whole, like you said, this came from an article called Consciousness Creep that seemed concerned about this sort of emergent consciousness. If consciousness is just something that kind of automatically arises once you have parts arranged in a sufficiently complex way, then maybe you can look to these externally verifiable things. But if consciousness is like this separate axis, you know, that can... Exist completely independently of functionality in the world, then this wouldn't make sense at all, right? And I, I'm not sure. I mean, do you have an intuition, I mean, this is purely speculative. Right. But do you have an intuition about which of those like worldviews is correct? Like whether like consciousness is like an emergent phenomenon that like just like once you have a complex enough like system that's you know reflecting on itself, you know, in a complex enough way, it just becomes conscious. Or do you think, like, there is some actual separate well, consciousness feature? I
0: think there's, like, kind of two questions in there. And for me, I think it it does seem more likely that consciousness is some kind of emergent property of complexity. Right. Um, but, but it might be much more narrowly defined. Here's the, the yeah. other thing is that it, I think there's a big question as to whether consciousness is a continuum or whether it's more of, like, an either-or. Like... Right, right. This and, is, and they mention this in the article, this is really based on the idea that this there's a spectrum of consciousness and that these are almost arbitrary demarcations to try to try to put some limits on that spectrum. But it may just be like some things are conscious and some things are not.
1: Right, it could be a hard line or a spectrum. And there is, I, I forget, it's something like pan-consciousness or something is the theory that you, that sounds very much like this where... Right, pan um, I think. Or panpsychism is that the yeah. term? Yeah, yeah, so like even a rock is just a little bit conscious. Right, like, right. Like right. everything in the world is like varying degrees conscious. Right. Um, My intuition about it would be that it's a combination of the two, that it's a spectrum, but that the spectrum doesn't start at molecule. <laughs> like it doesn't start until maybe you at least get, you know, up to earthworm status. Like I'd probably... Right, even corpse seems yeah. like it's
0: pretty obviously not conscious. It's just being privileged on this scale because it's got a body, um, which that it that's all it is. It's a body, so that's correct. Right. Um, but yeah, I think that it may be that there is such a big difference in kind between, uh, let's say, an earthworm and a rock that that feels like a sort of either or.
1: Yeah, I'd put an either or line there line. and maybe accept the the more loose spectrum model later. Right, but easily. then there is apparently some difference
0: between the consciousness of a human and an earthworm. Although, I don't know, maybe not. Maybe consciousness is just the, you know, the reactive adaptive um instinct and the quality of reaction and adaptation is irrelevant.
1: Well, it seems like you have to have a concept of an eye like you have to be able to model yourself Mm -hmm. right that seems to be a prerequisite and i don't know if that's enough Mm -hmm. right because just because you know a machine in its own code can like refer to itself say right uh that i don't know that i necessarily mean think that that's enough for that machine to be some level conscious but that does seem like a prerequisite Mm -hmm. and it does seem like maybe some of these really simple organisms may not even have that going on. They right. may not it have like a model way. of themselves in space even like at a p- particular position. You no, know, I think up yeah. into
0: a certain size they pretty clearly are just more like a sensory reaction machinery. Yeah. I mean they're there they're as, as programmatic as uh, a complex factory machinery.
1: Anyways, this is a super difficult problem that much, yeah. you know, it, a lot of thought has gone into <laughs> And we're probably not going to solve it now, but that—that that is an oh, interesting... Oh, no, that was
0: my goal. I think we should solve it right we now. We should
1: solve the problem, <laughs> no, the I don't, problem of consciousness. No, no, no. I just thought this scale was interesting and bizarre yeah. and
0: honestly, like, yeah, not great. It's got a couple... I do like, like scales. I mean, like... I like that somebody tried, and I yeah. like that he has so many categories. It it, it's, it appears exhaustive because it's uh, so such so a long list. Speaking uh, of scales, yeah. I
1: forgot last episode when I was talking about autonomy that I had come up with my own autonomy scale for our virtual assistant episode. Oh yeah, that I did not then actually apply when talking about weapons. Oh, so that might is, be something that we could do. Maybe we'll do maybe that. next episode because yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I, I want to go back and look at what I said and see if I even think my own scale is any useful. <laughs>
0: I'm gonna raise useful at all. scale. Okay.
1: Yeah, but that's a place where we badly need a scale. I think maybe right away in a more and that would be more maybe, useful, right? Like a
0: government yeah. schedule of autonomy, almost that just like lets you classify things. Right, this
1: way. and there is that other scale that on the loop in the loop uh oh, yeah. thing but i don't like that one actually i find that one confuses me like when i ever I try to think about it yeah. so i i mean yeah let's come let's put a, a a pin in that and come back to that um so i have a couple things on my mind um so let's talk about violence again um because okay. that's a sunny topic sure. and i already talked about weapons So let's talk about more localized violence just because this is on everybody's mind, right? Like, a lot of violence talk. uh, There was another horrible shooting in the US in Orlando. And we could be playing this
0: tape at almost any time, and that statement would exactly. It really doesn't. You said
1: Orlando, so you you, you timed it. I dated it, but but you know what? Who cares? Like, (laughs) (laughs) the specifics of that case are completely unimportant to anything I want to say, right? Um, And the other thing I sort of want to dodge is the very specific and weirdly American gun control debate that we're having. That yeah, let's please not do that. that I, I don't really want to, like, although inevitably what I do want to say is going to touch upon that sort of indirectly, but I want to keep this more global sure. and not, you know, focused on our weird politics and gun history. Um, so what my sort of futurist response to these tragedies, mm-hmm. um, aside from just being horrified, them on a base level, right? Is the that you know this is a technology, a gun. It's a technology we've had for Guns. a while. Yeah, we've heard of this technology. Um, and how much power that gives an individual to very easily take out many other individuals. Mm-hmm. And the the futurist, uh, thought experiment that that inevitably leads me to is this whole problem of well, aren't we just going to have better tools very soon that just turn up that number? to where it becomes easier and easier and cheaper and cheaper for single individuals to murder larger and larger numbers of people. Right, with less and less detection. And this is I, this is one of the things that, that makes me pessimistic about the future, whereas normally I'm fairly optimistic. Yeah. Um, is I don't see an easy way out of that trend, right? I mean, it seems like the next... If we're just going to actually posit a, an actual specific technology, the one that people have been talking about forever, but we fortunately haven't had a uh, a major incident yet, would be some sort of bioterrorism, right? Right. Some sort of like like specially genetically engineered super virus or something. That virus gets or bacteria
0: yeah. that, uh Yeah. That goes in the water supply
1: or the air. Right. Something that maybe one disgruntled person for their own reasons, which it really doesn't even matter. And it's pretty easy to accept the idea of one disgruntled person on a large planet. As
0: far with, as we can tell, there's more than there's one disgruntled of yeah. person on Earth. With yes. yes. a little
1: bit of scientific knowledge, you know, and like... Or just like an internet connection and Yeah, some and money. some laboratory equipment. Well, if they are going to maybe, say, engineer something, they, they might have to, you know, be able to do that. Yeah. Um, and that's extremely troubling. And then you think of like, well, what is the way out of that? And the only way out of that seems like these very draconian crackdowns, right? Right. Which is basically even, like super gun control, right? Like right, the right. next level of that. Which aren't even that likely to work because you can't control everywhere, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, you can't, but then at a certain point, you just have to try. Once, the, In other words, you can have a meaningful debate now. About you know the trade-offs between civil liberties and safety, right? Right. But when the safety part of this becomes so enormous, when one person can be you know because they had you know a bad year decide to kill a million people and actually pull that off feasibly, right? Then you really can't. Uh, it's it's much harder to stand up for civil liberties at that point when that's the actual consequence that you're facing. And I feel like that might be what the future is shaped like.
0: Uh, Yeah, it's, it's hard to imagine what specific technologies will be available widely, but uh, you could think of a range of technologies that might become available that would democratize mass killing to the degree you're talking about, um... While well, else- what do you think
1: about the example that I gave, right? Like if you, you know, you take a flu virus and you you mutate it such that, you know, it, it's going to get around all current vaccines and then it's going to be extra deadly. Right. And then you just like release it on a subway. So,
0: I mean, maybe we'll have desktop gene printers or something in 10 years, but I feel like the more likely biotech disasters scenario is a government somewhere pays to develop a weaponized uh, virus and then just a little bit of it is stolen and sold on the black market.
1: Okay. I mean, that's still assuming that the initial right? creation of this is fairly expensive. That's my, my general feeling. You don't buy that there's a downward trend in cost to, to these kinds of things? A downward trend
0: in cost that might allow a smaller nation to pull it off, but not a downward trend in cost that makes it into a, a desktop hobby activity. That's well, but I mean, this genetic stuff—it's—it's—but
1: it, it's, it's an information science, and it's like—I mean, I, 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 yeah but inform- the current
0: cost of developing a—but I'm not talking about the current Organism
1: of, is so high. That I'm not talking about the current cost. Way down. I'm asking you to speculate about the cost twenty I, years from now.
0: I know. I'm just saying, if, if even if it goes way down from where it is now, it still seems like it'd be higher than making a blog or something. Also, the. There's fixed parts of that cost. Like, you've got to test this thing. you got to kill a lot of monkeys in a lot of labs.
1: Okay, but, like, what's the figure that you have in your head? Is it millions of dollars? It seems like it's millions of dollars, yeah. Like, five million dollars? I mean... I mean, a disgruntled rich person could bankroll that.
0: Yeah, it seems like the kind of thing that a disgruntled rich person or small country or large corporation could probably manage. But I don't think it's something that, like, a guy does in his garage. And there are things a guy can do in his garage that would be very destructive.
1: Well, let's talk about those then, because that would be more to my point, if you have some good examples.
0: Well, let's see. I mean, it depends on the specific technology that becomes available. But I think, like, I mean, like, you know, poisoning, just straight up poisoning, Poisoning like a water supply or something like that, seems like something that's pretty easy to do.
1: You that could, seems like the kind of thing that would have, I mean... Like, like maybe we don't have
0: advanced enough, like, nano-shells so that you can get enough time-release stuff into the water or something, but maybe uh, really soon we'll be able to make those at home. That doesn't seem like
1: that. Well, hold on, that threat. seems like a threat now, though, right? Although, I mean, I don't know what yeah. kind of... I mean, you can already poison water supplies, but the problem now, if you're...
0: if you're trying to kill the most number of people is that you're going to dump your poison in and then eventually it's going to wash through the system. But if you really want to poison a water supply, you'd want it to release slowly over a period of time, uh, maybe from multiple locations. Mm. And that seems like something that would get easier in the future because they're doing more and more with um, these coatings that you can uh, use for drug delivery and other purposes to keep things from mixing until you want them Right.
1: Now, once you, the thing about a lot of of that kind of thing though, is because there's, there's a single, you know, point, which is the water supply that like, once this is realized, you can quickly get the word out, don't drink the water and you can stop the, the tide of death. Right. Um, And that's also, I mean, the, the problem with like something like more like a virus is a little, you can quarantine an area, but I feel like it's a little harder to contain. Right. Well, uh, yeah, it depends. If it's an airborne
0: virus, that's extremely hard to contain.
1: Right. Like, um,
0: the most sort of vigorous version of this that you can imagine is like an airborne virus that lives a relatively long time outside the body and causes, you know, sneezing or coughing or some other, right. you know, spreading a behavior as part of its symptoms. Uh, and you could imagine that doing tremendous damage. Right. Yeah, I guess there's some point far enough in the future where if you had the design for one of these things, uh, printing it out yourself on your like chemical printer at home or whatever, um, genetic printer at home would be would be feasible, right? I think yeah. I think the design part of it just is always going to be, I think, pretty expensive because there's just so many moving parts
1: there. Well, I don't know the okay, but, but okay, do you accept? The thesis that I'm posing here, though, that that it gets cheaper and cheaper to kill more people.
0: Yes, absolutely. It definitely seems like both traditional murder devices and new technologies that could be turned for murder purposes
1: uh, both appear to be getting cheaper. And and then the corollary to that would be that that's going to drive whether for the moment you think it's a good thing or not, that that's going to drive like much stricter adoption of rules to control all manner of potentially weaponizable things.
0: I definitely think that governments will be worried about the destructive potential of lots of new technologies. And we may very well see, um, Wrong-headed or draconian control of beneficial technologies because we're worried about weaponization right for sure it's really hard to predict what will happen as far as just you know will we see more deaths because of this will we see more will more crazy people get their hands on a powerful weapon and then use it or not is a really hard question
1: I mean, that's that's my concern, and that, you know, to prevent that, it seems like we need more advanced and invasive law enforcement <laughs> tactics, potentially, which are right. troubling for a different reason. Well,
0: that's what I was just thinking, is what if instead of having more restrictions on weaponry, let's say, we just had much, much more surveillance?
1: Well, that was the, yeah, I mean, that, that, <laughs> that's included in, in my original framing, is like, yeah. yeah, like more of this, you know, we often refer to this sort of surveillance-heavy regime, and like... Yeah, I mean, this just seems like another thing driving us towards that. It kind of seems like, yeah, in the future you're like
0: not going to be able to stop people from having various destructive technologies at their fingertips, whatever they are. But if you can have a computer program that's watching them all the time, yeah, and that computer program alerts you whenever they're about to hit the OK button on uh, the destructive uh, technology uh and you can then deploy drones to neutralize them and bring them in and uh right but that requires having doing.
1: cameras in their secret labs and you know basically violating yeah. privacy rights
0: or having their you know optic nerves hacked directly or oh, whatever God. yeah i mean i mean i think it does require that and i feel like people will probably submit to that
1: well what's interesting about this country is that the pe- same right. people that are very upset about any kind of gun control legislation would probably to- be totally on board with banning all kinds of laboratory <laughs> equipment and things that might like other styles of weapons. They probably you probably wouldn't have as much trouble. They would. Uh, they would passing legislation to control right because those people uh,
0: are not interested in uh, preventing technological bans on any kind of principle. They don't have they, any ex- principles. Yeah, they just that are like their that. principles are about the founding of the country and the constitution right. and stuff like that. Yeah. And, you know, which is, that's a whole different, it's a whole I, different I, set I, of arguments. I'm trying to
1: avoid that, but, I, right, but right. I just think, like, I could see, to me, like, this is the most, like, direct pathway to, like, aggressive state surveillance, and it just seems like, it seems pretty unavoidable in my mind. It, 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 it's just, well, as,
0: yeah, I mean, as we've seen, aggressive state surveillance is going to just happen with or without our permission. Uh, in secret and then it'll get found out and then it'll continue. Um, You know, and that's what it's been doing and and we have no reason to assume it's going to abate. It seems like, um,
1: I guess like, I just hope that we get something in return. I just like, I mean, really this is the terrorism argument, you know, terrorism it is the terrorism argument, but I just,
0: just what you're talking about. It's just individuals doing a lot, you know, doing the kind of harm we used to think it took an army. But pe-
1: people can stand up now, and they, they strongly take the civil liberties side, and I often agree with them, and they say, like, you know, well, we shouldn't compromise rights just because some nutcase can blow a lot of people up. We need to, like, you know, preserve a free way of life, and I find that t- tends to be a fairly convincing argument. I just feel like the mm-hmm. scale tips dramatically in the future that I've envisioned to where I stop buying that argument, and I s- start wanting the state to come protect me.
0: So, like, right now... I mean there's the argument for really aggressive state action against terrorism uh particularly in the civil liberties restricting vein right is the suitcase bomb or the dirty bomb yeah it's that somebody gets some nuclear material mm-hmm. which is something dangerous that the world has a bit too much of and uh they blow it up in a in a populated place so that's a that's something you could do right now okay that would taint the water and the you know the buildings for an unknown amount of time kill bunches of people instantly and kill many more people with cancer and all that um obviously there's a lot of depending on this and that in that in that scenario but assuming a pretty bad version of that uh with a lot of material and a lot of uh spread you could you know you could poison a whole major city.
1: Right. Um, But a lot of things have to go wrong for that to happen, right? That scenario is terrible and worth avoiding. But like, I...
0: Right. So like, there's a lot of failed states in the world that have visible material. Some, one of them's got to lose some somehow.
1: Exactly. That's got to
0: get sold to somebody who's willing to to do this sort of thing.
1: Whereas like, once this comes in the reach of, you know, maybe just an extremely wealthy person who has you know a problem with someone else mm-hmm. or a lot of people uh it just seems i don't know that's all i had to say about that this is just what keeps me up at night right now this is bothering me
0: <laughs> yeah well you know there is no magic way to stop terrorism except to erase all discontents from society by uh artificially making everyone happy
1: like by the, yeah. a of
0: david pierce right uh <laughs> yes and that's Except to uh make sure that there isn't anyone who feels left behind and that's
1: the other side of dystopia that's the brave new world scenario which we've which we always talked about as being well, more likely yeah.
0: more likely and also preferable yeah. i mean when i'm sitting here talking about it, it's like what would you prefer that we surveil everybody and every time you're about to do something dangerous uh robots in black I feel suits i like think we need
1: a term for this i mean we say brave new world but like it's like the feel-good dystopia Right, because there's a million versions of this. Brave New World isn't the only one. (laughs) I like that. It's it's the one that's like you're supposed to find abhorrent because it lacks some humanity. You know what it is like? It's Mm -hmm. when we were talking about um, Scott Alexander's review of Age of M. Yeah, and his concern that you know the Ms wouldn't would lose their humanity and would sort of like be wireheaded and have their reward centers hijacked into like not really having human needs and just sort of being cogs in this economy. Yeah. Uh, That's again, that's just another version of the feel good dystopia. It's like everything in the, in the dystopia is happy, but the only reason it's still a dystopia is that from standing outside the dystopia, it's vaguely disturbing.
0: Right. Right. But I feel like the point that Hanson made about that is the right one, which is that like, if you just wrote a book about today's everyday life and shared it with Romans in the, the year of one thousand A.D., they would be terrified that we had betrayed everything that they cared about, and that their descendants were nothing like them.
1: Yeah, and those Romans can shut up.
0: Well, I mean, hey, because they I live how I live. Well, that's true.
1: Yeah, that would clearly be the most fun thing to do with a time machine, though. Would be just to freak out Romans. <laughs> yeah, just to interview people from the past and just get their get their take on things. Like, sure, yeah, like bring them here bring them like in Bill and Ted's Excellent
0: Adventure, bring Napoleon to Waterloo. Yeah. And then be like, so Napoleon, how is Waterloo? Yeah. I feel
1: like that doesn't happen enough. I mean, obviously we can't really do this, but like there's God knows there's way too many movies made about time travel. And I, I feel like not enough time is given too to, much Hitler
0: killing and not enough. Yeah. I want to see people
1: up. from the past commenting on us. <laughs> I feel like that could be a good movie idea in and of itself. There's right. the, there's a movie idea for this episode. We got to get one in every episode. Oh, we do? Okay, that's a new feature. I guess.
0: All right. We'll <laughs> we'll try. Uh thanks to everybody for trying out the new format. We got some feedback on it and we're going to keep working on it and and making it better, so let us know.
1: Yeah, 1%. actually, so one of the things one of the advantages of this format is that this can become a little bit more of a conversation. Yeah. Uh you guys can suggest topics, you guys can respond. And then we can respond, and that whole loop can be a lot tighter, where we can just kind of interact with our audience more. So we'd love to hear from you, um, especially you know engage with things that we say or point us in a direction that would be interesting.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And send us links or thoughts of things you'd like us to cover. Okay, so that uh, wraps up this episode.
1: Until next time.
0: I'm Ted Cover. I'm John Perry. And you're listening to Review the Future. To subscribe or leave a comment on this episode, please visit ReviewTheFuture.com. You can also send emails to feedback at ReviewTheFuture.com. Thanks for listening.